Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorization number TP slash 01005. The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. I've got a feeling Heroes and Villains is going to go off tonight. I think there's a lot of heroes. I think there'll be a lot of villains. And I can't wait to get your nominations. one 736 Yes, indeed. Oh, it's got that feel about it, doesn't it? After a massive round nine, heroes and villains. There's just a lot of each, I reckon. one three hundred seven three six seven three six to give me your nominations uh, on the Harcourts open line. Your move, your Harcourts. For all things real estate, speak to Harcourts or you can text them in 0433981116 off the temper text. Temper, uh, a mattress like no other. Um, we started this conversation last week. We uh, we spoke to Scott Gowans, who's the inaug- going to be the inaugural coach of the Sydney Swans AFLW side after he was previously the inaugural coach of North Melbourne's AFLW side. Hawthorne, one of the four new teams coming in for AFLW 7, if and when. Um, we're led to believe it's going to start. Gil's telling us that all the clubs know. Let's find out exactly what they know and how they're planning and how they're putting their list together. We'll head to the Hawks and speak to Josh Vandaloo, uh, who's the GM of operations in AFLW at the Hawthorne Footy Club. And they've announced uh, four new signings today to go with uh, uh, another signing over the weekend and just how they're putting this list together when we still don't know what the trade period is going to look like. We still don't know when the draft is going to be. We still don't have a CBA. So it's it'd be fascinating to find out exactly how you put together a list for your very first season and put together a team for your very first season when we don't have all the details to do so. So Josh Vandaloo will join us as well. Hey, a couple of texts that I didn't get to um, throughout um, the, the last hour, and it was an absolute pleasure and really special to have Alan Border and Jimmy Marr, a couple of Queensland cricketing greats, uh, uh, mates and former teammates with Andrew Simons. That Those chats will be up at sen.com.au very soon, and there was uh, a lot of love coming through off the temper text uh, for them as well, Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. 98 A couple of texts that have come through about the Bombers, and I just get the feeling that... Um I just get the feeling that the Bombers might be on several people's nomination lists for heroes and villains, and I don't think it's a spoiler alert uh, or any great surprise to find that they'll be more or less in the villains column. Uh, Anthony texts and says, Hi, just tuned in. Let me tell you, I'm a 27-year member of the Bombers and have stuck through thick and thin. For the first time at the halftime break, I turned off the TV and went to bed. Something is completely wrong with that club, and it needed... and it." 
and need it sorted ASAP. We can't just pinpoint individual players. It's a team effort. That's from Anthony. Uh, Off the text, this is the thanks we get for the last two years of membership effectively being a donation. This club is completely broken, just as much off-field as on it. We had a caller before who was pretty upset to tell us that his kids are now upset with him for making them be Essendon supporters. He said, that last caller was poignant. My kids are spewing at me for getting them to barrack for Essendon. Growing up, we were untouchable. Uh, that's just a little taste of what's been coming through. Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen off the temper text temper a mattress like no other. Uh, every team needs characters build needs character builders. A Luke Hodge, a Joel Selwood, a Max Gorn leader. Essendon has players, not leaders. That's come through from another Essendon fan as well. Zero four double three ninety eight. Uh, 1116. Uh, this is just coming through as well. So just to reiterate, if you just missed it before we went to 7 o'clock uh, and finished up the Maccas run, Liam Ryan has been charged for his bump on Jake Bowie. A clear head-high contact made in that. Jake Bowie played out the rest of the game. Liam Ryan's been offered one match, careless, medium impact and high contact. Oh, I thought that would have been too minimum. Jake Bowie did play out the rest of the game. Kate Chandler is an interesting one. Charged with rough conduct, a dangerous tackle charge from the MRO on Luke Foley who did not take any part a further part in the game after this tackle under concussion protocols he's been offered a two game suspension careless, high impact, high contact and I'm having to look at this a few times just to see if there's the double movement that they're trying to eradicate out of the game and it's not immediately apparent I can sort of see there's a as they come to the ground there's a maybe but I feel like it's a momentum movement and maybe not that the player deliberately went into a double movement of the tackle itself. I wonder whether it's the momentum of the tackle that's carried both players forward. Either way, uh, Luke Foley was uh, concussed and now Kay Chandler will miss two weeks. Marlon Pickett's been charged with engaging in rough conduct against Dylan Moore. Uh, One-game suspension, careless, medium impact, high contact. Richmond are appealing that one-match suspension for the bump on Dylan Moore. and the only angle we've got, it seems to show that Marlon Pickett did get Dylan Moore high, attempting a legal shepherd. But as we know, if you choose to bump and you make high contact, then uh, you're pretty much done and dusted um, under the way in which we're trying to protect the head. That'll be interesting. Tribunal tomorrow night. Uh, the MRO uh, is sending, uh, sorry, the MRO charged Marlon Pickett with one game, and he will contest that at the tribunal tomorrow night. Um, Fox Sports are reporting that James Rowbottom will uh, will appeal, or the Sydney Swans will appeal, James Rowbottom's rough conduct charge against Zach Merritt. Offered one game, careless, medium impact, high contact. So um, you look at that vision in slow-mo, and, and I wonder whether they're going to try and make try and point to that maybe there was a little shove that uh, Rowbottom got from Callum Mills, his teammate, that might have pushed him into Zach Merritt, who fumbles the ball, and then... Didn't get low. He sort of stayed up high um, and reached a hand out to, to regather the ball after fumbling. Uh, and then the contact is definitely made high. It's almost head-to-head contact in that one. Uh, so that'll be fascinating to see. I, I can't quite pick that one. I think unless you dig very deep and go frame by frame, and if they can show another angle that shows him being pushed, I think that's going to be a tough one to overturn for, for James Rowbottom. Um and in the incident involving Richmond's Tom Lynch and Hawthorne's Jarman Impey from the third quarter of Saturday's match between Richmond and Hawthorne, um, that was assessed and then thrown out by the MRO, uh, which was astounding to me. I've looked at that side-by-side with Toby Green's uh, forearm to Paddy Dangerfield last year that saw him get suspended. 
Um, I actually had Ian Finlay on last year, and and I've never really bought into the idea of a Toby tax and that conspiracy theory. I heard Dwayne say that this is the first time he started to waver on it today uh, as well. But that I cannot split those two. I cannot figure out how those two are any different to each other. And I asked Ian Finlay last year, who for 40 years was a player's advocate at the tribunal, and I said, do some players get a set against them? Are they treated differently to others? And he didn't equivocate. He said, absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. I'm going to try and bring up that audio, because I asked him this last year about Toby Green and about the idea of a Toby Green tax, and he said, absolutely, there is. So he's been doing, he did that for 40 years, and he is in no doubt that there is such a thing as a Toby tax and that some players get treated differently to others. The uh, round nine rising star, Corey Durden, 19 disposals, five score involvements and two goals and some of the best front and centre Ford 50 stoppage work that I've seen in quite some time. He and Owies are a great combo up there. Um, I was worried that they didn't have enough in that small forward, pressure forward, crumbing forward position. But after what I saw on the weekend, uh, they certainly are well-stocked there, and those two players are only going to get better uh, and better. Hey, let's get into Heroes and Villains for a Monday night. And then a hero comes with the strength to carry on And you cast your fears aside Uh, one three hundred seven three six seven three six on the Harcourts open line. Your move, your Harcourts heroes and villains. Who were the heroes of round nine or the weekend in sport, and who were the villains? One three hundred seven three six seven three six. Always more than happy for you to open the bowling, and that's what Daniel and Elwood's uh, rang up to do. Daniel, heroes, villains. What do you think, mate? What do you think of Braden Price's game on the weekend? It's a very very good question, Daniel. So he dominates the ruck. I think I think he had about 40 hit-outs to... I think De Koning may have just got to 10 with the very last hit-out he had. If he didn't, it was nine hit-outs. So he's completely dominated hit-outs, yet they were nowhere near it. Uh, well, they were near it. I mean, they got back in contention. But they were beaten again in clearance and centre clearance. The, the Giants. Mate, hard to, yeah, hard to give, uh, give him the slack. It's the coaches. Whoever slipped him a vote over Cripps or Dirt, so he got the rising star, mate. You know, pay attention. I think those other boys deserve that singular vote from one of the two coaches. So he got, because oh, I haven't seen the coaches' votes in full, so you're saying that, uh, that he got one of the coaches' votes, did he? Yeah, and Cripps got none, mate. I thought Cripps was pretty damaging with 460-odd metres gained, about 23. You know, probably not as damaging as the few weeks before, but... Neither Voss nor, nor Cameron gave him a vote, but one of them gave Proust a vote. So I think he's a victim of his know. own. Is he a victim of his own standards that he's been setting this year, Paddy Cripps? I think he only had about the twenty-five. But you're right; he had high meters gained, 
Um, but but I think there were others that were better than him, even though he still made a solid contribution. I think he's just a victim of his incredibly high standards he set this year. The one about Proust, though, is fascinating because he did take some big marks. He clearly dominated in the ruck, but what what benefit did they get from it? At one point, he went up un, un, uncontested in the ruck, absolutely uncontested, and he palmed it straight to Paddy Cripps, and they got the centre clearance. So what's the value of a ruckman? It's um, It's a good question. Yeah, well, I, I just reckon that uh, if, you, if you sit and look long and hard, and I reckon I would have said Corey Durden did more damage than Braden Proust yesterday. So, you know, at least he got a rising star, and I'd good on the kids. Uh, absolutely. Thanks, Daniel. Really appreciate the call. Pete's in Paran with a hero and a villain. G'day, Pete. Yeah, g'day, Sam. Thanks for taking the call, mate, and uh, great show. I uh, love the um, listen to Jim Maher and, and Border. That was a total surprise. Uh, Alan's been a great man. But, yeah, uh, that anyway, was special. Back to villains yep. and, yeah, he, he, he really is a very decent guy. Um, back to villains and uh, heroes. Mine is a villain of uh, current... He's a current administrator, previous footballer, and that's Brad Scott. And uh, for the reason being, uh, and you quoted his edict uh, a few moments earlier, which was, if you choose to bump and you make contact with a head, well, that's all, that's all uh, fine and well, but how many times have they actually followed that edict this year? Um, we've had massive contradictions again, so uh, that's one. Secondly, on the, on the uh, what is uh, dissent or what is not dissent, and leaving the definition of the individual umpire, is once again selling those poor guys down the river. So the villain for myself this week and uh, probably weeks to come, Brad Scott. Pete, thank you for the call. Greatly appreciate it. And for the kind words as well, not uh, to Brad Scott, but to me. Um, I, I, again, I, I'm not too fussed about the um, about the dissent. Uh, I think that, as I said, there's going to be some weeks where a couple are going to get thrown up and you're going to say, yeah, I, I don't think that was dissent and, then, and that they might actually um, misinterpret or misconstrue because that's what happens with every single rule. There are um, week in, week out because they are fallible, they are human, they incorrectly gauge um, the circumstances or, or, or the interpretation of a of a decision. So that's going to happen. I think, by and large, the players should be commended for how well they've adjusted. Uh, I think the umpires have found, it, by and large, a very good place with it as well. No, the Buku Kamas one wasn't dissent in my eyes, but the Jordan Degoe one definitely was. Um, so I think we've. I think what's happened is when the umpire that's that, that's pinged Harris Andrews says arms out is dissent. I think we've taken that as gospel as opposed to listening to what's actually being judged. I think maybe that umpire misspoke and we're all sort of hanging that. That's where we're all hanging our hats on that, oh, arms out, it's dissent. I think there was a bit more to it than that and maybe just he misspoke in that moment. But I think you've got to move past what the umpire said to Harris Andrews and then look at it as the overall. And I think overall it's it's been fine and our blow-up about it might have been one of the greatest overreactions of all time. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 Grant's in Princetown. Um, whereabouts is Princetown, Grant? Grant, are you there? Hello, yeah, Grant. Sorry, I was on uh, speakerphone. Just That's all right, mate. You're uh, live on air. What have you got for me? Hero and a villain. Uh, villain, the umpires. Just collectively, For a or reason this time. Yep. Um, I've noticed a lot lately. Someone takes possession. Someone comes in, tackles them. The ball gets knocked out, and uh, the umpire calls in to correct disposal. 
with Vogue not there in the tackle. It's got nothing to do with his fires and it's been happening a lot this year. Yeah, I'll keep an eye out for it, Grant. I'll keep an eye out for it. I, 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 you know I, what I mean. You know, I know what you're saying. It just ha- yeah. it. As soon as he tackles him, the momentum of the tackle knocks the ball out. And the umpire says, incorrect disposal. And I think he lost it in the tackle, umpire. He didn't, nothing to do with his face yeah. the ball. So, so what they're looking at, Grant, is if you've had prior, if they deem that you've had prior and you are tackled and you can't... Uh, and you don't dispose of the ball, then they are looking to ping you more for that this year than they have been in, in previous years. But I'll keep an eye out for what you're talking about. Uh, I'm going to correct myself there. I talked about the dominance in hitouts for the Giants. It was 44 to 15 in the end, and I think Bruce had 40 of them, uh, and De Koning had about 10. I said that they won clearances, which they did, 36 to 28, but they Giants actually did win centre clearance, 15 to 11. So I've just got to correct myself on that. Uh, one three hundred seven three six seven three six heroes and villains on a Monday night. I love it when you're lining up to do all the heavy lifting. I haven't even got to any of mine yet, um, but that's okay. Uh, Troy in North Fitzroy, Nathan in Craigieburn. Uh, I'll get to you straight away on the other side of this. Uh, Damon's in Strathmore as well. Uh, heroes and villains on a Monday night, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 I reckon, I'm hoping that someone rings up and puts St Kilda in the heroes column. Um, that was the win they needed to have. Uh, the, the, the knock had been that they hadn't beaten anyone with uh, finals bona fides. Uh, Geelong certainly have that, as they have done for the better part of a decade. And St Kilda, after really, I think, letting themselves down, they just didn't fire a shot against Melbourne. They would have been really flat. I reckon St Kilda of last year would have responded to the complete opposite end of, of the spectrum than they did against Geelong on the weekend. And if you look at the numbers throughout that game, what what really won it for them? When you look at there wasn't much separating them in disposals. It was 52 to 51 inside 50s. Uh, when you look at the hitouts, there's very little, just four separating them, uh, just four separating them in terms of clearances at St Kilda 1. They won centre clearance by just one, contested ball by plus 15. But it's their efficiency going forward. So we're, we're seeing an era where... Teams are so inaccurate in front of goal, and St Kilda have been guilty of that. I mean, that game against uh, Port Adelaide, that's the easily the worst game of the year, uh, and not just because of the conditions, but because of how inaccurate both teams were. But they were 57% forward 50 efficiency to Geelong's 43%. So they took their chances, and that's what you've got to do in finals. That's what it absolutely comes down to uh, in finals, and they were able to do it. So... They're a hero nomination from me, St Kilda. Uh, Troy North Fitzroy, who's a, a hero or a villain for you, mate? Um, the hero is the NRL for the weekend that they put on. And good evening. Sorry, I should have stipulated that first. That's up. okay. Yeah, and uh, excuse me, the NRL for the weekend they put up put on up at Suncorp, like the Magic Ground. Excuse me, they're, they're my heroes for the weekend. And the villains are Melbourne Storm because they thought that they were better than what they were. Yeah, they had a lot out though, didn't they? The Storm, I think they yeah. had four of their best out, and uh, and Penrith are a very good team, very very, very good, good team. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Rabbitoh supporter, so yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, but uh, excuse me, Penrith do look good. They're a very good side, but uh, Melbourne Storm, I just thought they would have done a little bit better. Yeah, they've been up for a while, haven't they? I mean, we've been just astounded at uh, how many points they've been putting on the board week in, week out, breaking records. I think to 
to this point in the season or just before Magic Round, uh, I think no one had scored this many points in the opening stages of a season since about 1936 or something along those lines. It was extraordinary, the scoring rate that they were putting up. But the injuries have taken a bit of a toll. And, yeah, they got taught, um, they got brought back down to earth with a massive thud. I think they only put six points on the board against Penrith. So I'm not ready to villain nominate them just yet, Troy. Um, but uh, I appreciate you are as a, as a Rabbitohs fan. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. Damien's in Strathmore. Damien, uh, a hero and a villain. Yeah, heroes. Um, Marlon Pickett for um, designing the Richmond Indigenous jumper. Yeah, it looks One sensational. Of the most beautiful jumpers I've ever seen. It's absolutely sensational. They all look great, though, don't they, Damien? They launched them yeah. all today, all around the country, yeah. and it is one of the. It's my favourite round of the year. Uh, so Doug Nichols' oh, round, God. and 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 the jumpers again look extraordinary. They are so good. Yeah, and the villain is the MRO panel for not allowing him to wear it this Saturday night. Yeah, you're a Richmond fan, eh, Damien? Certainly am. Yeah, oh, it's it's incredibly sad that, that he won't be there. Um, I, I don't think, though, that you can make a decision on whether you suspend someone um, based on what's to come this week. It, when we start doing that, you'll start finding... Um, unacceptable loopholes to try and get anyone off. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's a, it's it's really really sad that Marlon Pickett at this stage uh, they've got a challenge at the tribunal tomorrow night. Um, the way that the only angle I've been able to see and find say, says to me that that there was high contact made. Do I think there was any malice in it? Absolutely not. Do I think it was his attempt at a fair and legal shepherd? I absolutely do. He just just didn't get low enough, Damien. And at the moment, it looks like. That from what I can see, that there that that week sadly is justified. I, I I'm with you. I'd love to see him out there in the jumper that he designed um, on a very special weekend uh, on the AFL calendar. But but it, we just we just cannot go down a path where we look for excuses uh, and ways out for people from the emotional standpoint of what might be to come for them. Um, you know, it could be someone's 300th game. It could be someone's 400th game. It could be a grand final. But those things cannot factor in to the MRO's decision-making in any making in any way, shape, or form. Because once we start to do that, that thread, that unravels, and it all falls apart from that. You, you just Those things just can't be factored in. I'm sorry, Damien. It's tough uh, as it is. Um, Nathan's in Craigieburn, who's got a ripping hero nomination for us. I'm so glad you're going with this, Nath. Fire away. I'll start my villain first. Um... I've got uh, my villain is the umpire. So the field umpire and the goal umpire. Two two issues I have that I, I can't stand when I go to a game. Uh, in the Geelong game, St Kilda game, you had um, Zach Tui, he kicked it into space. No no plays around. The ball went out of play and wasn't deliberate. And we get pinned for the most silliest ones every week. Another one is the goal umpire. The so goal are, you umpire talking, are you talking insufficient intent? Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's a, it's a joke of a rule. It's an absolute joke of a rule. If the umpire's jobs aren't hard enough as it is, and with the AFL asking them now to be mind readers on trying to pick what a player's trying to do in an, with an oval ball uh, in, in certain game situations, uh, in, in certain scenarios, I, I think it is one of the cruelest things we're asking umpires to do, more so than this dissent, is trying to mind-read players. It's just ridiculous, insufficient intent. So I'm with you on that. And I feel for the umpires in it. They shouldn't be asked to, to try and carry out um, this stupid rule. Anyway, keep going, Nath. Sorry. Yeah, because you've got players that 
from 25 and 30 metres out, they miss a golfer goal. It's not deliberate. It can go left, it can go right. But anyway, and the other one's a goal umpire. So when there's a touch call, like, for example, the goal umpire believes it was a goal, but we'll go to a review, and then it's inconclusive. So it's umpire's decision. I reckon that's a harsh penalty on the team where if it's not conclusive, it should be a behind, not a goal. That's my that's my yeah, reading it, on well, how it goes, it Yeah, it goes with umpire's call, Nathan. Look, the review system isn't good enough. We've got a text in there at the moment that this is a billions, multi-billion dollar industry, yet the cameras that we're using to try and figure out whether a player's touched a ball just aren't up to standard. So until they are, until we can afford, if that's the problem, and until we can get enough of the David Attenborough, slow the hummingbird's wings down so you can see each individual <laughs> flap of them, which I'm stealing from Jared Crouch a couple of years ago on this show, then let's just do away with it. Let's just do away with it until we actually will uh, are happy to fork out for the appropriate equipment to do this correctly, where there's so that there is no doubt in our minds. Now, who's your hero, Nath? Because I'm really I like this hero. My, my hero, he's my hero. He's our captain, Jack Steele. He was injured half time. Any other player wouldn't have came back, but he came back for rotation reasons because he lined up in the uh, goal square at the second half when the ball was bounced. And his apprentice came on, which was Winhager. So Winhager, since he came to the club, he's been under Jack Steele's wing, and he just done exactly what Jack Steele does when he's fit, and he he actually wore his shoes the whole second half. Yeah, Nate, that's a great nomination. I love Jack Steele. Uh, it's a great name, and he's got uh, the approach to the game to back up the name Steel because he is made of exactly that and maybe even sterner stuff. He's as tough as they come, as good a leader by example in the competition as there is. Um, and the, the tackle from uh, Jake Collajasny, there's nothing wrong with that. But for him to get up and keep playing the way he did, now he's going to miss, I think, about two months of footy. But to come back out and play, as you say... Is as tough as it gets, and he absolutely uh, is worthy of a hero nomination. So I'm so glad that you've thrown that one in the mix. Uh, Luke's in Preston, hero or villain, Luke? Yeah, I've got both. Um, firstly, we'll go with the hero, and it's it's actually a team as well as an individual. Marby Old Scholl and the Gold Coast Suns, and yes, it's a bit of a strange one. But the reason why I picked him and the Gold Coast Suns is they they've copped it for years and years, and. I think to put up the performance, knocking off Sydney and now Fremantle, like Fremantle are a rated side. They're not. They're definitely a, a serious contender this year. Yep. To knock them off is, is a massive effort. And Chol has brought a lot of flair to the club, as well as another option, just like Casbolt. Um, and I think you, you look at him, Brandon Ellis, Casbolt, Cook Miller, Gold Coast, I, I genuinely believe are going to go places. And uh, yeah, I think that was an awesome effort on the weekend by them to to shut him down and, and also give credit to Stewie Jew because he's been under the pump for a long time as well. Um, and as for a villain, uh, it's actually the Essendon Footy Club. I just thought the second half in particular against Sydney, they just no effort. They, they put in no effort. They looked like they, they just had no pressure in their game and just basically like they've given up. And I know they're copying it a bit at the moment, but it, it's just very obvious. It was embarrassing. It, it, it was embarrassing. That's what it was. Uh, and the players will feel that, that no doubt at all. Um, there was nothing to laugh at after the game. Um, yeah, that they they will be embarrassed by that, and and well they should. And we've had uh, plenty of Essendon fans uh, ringing to vent their displeasure at what they saw, just below the minimum of what a fan's willing to accept when they pay their hard earned to go along or to sign up for a membership. It's it's a contract, it's a partnership, 
between the club and the fan, and all they ask is that when they get to work on Monday, they don't have to hang their head in shame. You can lose, but you can't lose like that um, in terms of how the fans would view it. Haven't heard one Essendon fan supporting that performance yet, and, and, and I won't reckon we will. Hey, thanks, Luke. I'm really glad you brought up the Suns because they are on my list as well. That's probably the most impressive two weeks for the, in the club's history. They've beaten uh, a top-four contender in Sydney in, in one week. At, in Sydney, where they haven't, uh, where where a lot of teams struggle, and now they're five out of four out of the last five, or even five out of the last six against the Swans. But to back it up against the second placed Freo Dockers, who had only lost one game for the year, the Dockers were plus nineteen inside fifty. So the Suns' defence. I know you mentioned the midfield and the forwards, but the defence are the real heroes. They conceded nineteen more inside fifties. But they still won by 36 points. And again, Ford 50 efficiency, that is the key. How you can get it in and can you capitalise once you do. Um, and, and the Gold Coast did that brilliantly. And I'm glad you brought up Marby or Chole because he's just showing exactly the type of talent that we thought he had and why Richmond didn't want to lose him. And Levi Casbolt might be a contender for the best recruit of the year. Um and the Frio Dockers are a villain for me. To have plus 19 inside 50s and still lose the way he did, I don't care how bad the conditions or how, how unfavourable the conditions were. And I know you're missing some some players. But that's my concern about the Dockers. Their defence is brilliant. And they can stop sides in their tracks. But can they kick a winning score? Will they ever be able to beat a team in a shootout? And that's why I haven't jumped all in on the bandwagon of them. Their, their season's been really impressive. Their coach is great. Love the way that they go about it. But I worry about their ability to kick a winning score week in, week out, and especially when it comes to finals. You've got to be top four defence and you've got to be top four offence. History tells us if you're going to win a flag uh, or if you're going to get to a prelim. So at the moment, uh, going into that round, they were ranked eighth in terms of offence and now they've slipped well back from that after um, what they dished up uh, on the weekend. Uh, yeah, the, the Gold Coast Suns certainly do deserve uh, a hero nomination. Uh, Adrian in Roville's got a hero for us. Uh, far away, Adrian. How we going, mate? Good, buddy. Yeah, well, this one's posthumous, um, and it's sad that you know we have to lose some of these people to remember the things that were great about them. But I was at the G when Roy hit his 150. Um, tragic passing, and it seems that we're saying that too much about cricketers lately. But Andrew Simons is indeed my nomination. Um, what we've seen just over the last couple of days, um, you know, Warney, we all had amazing memories of Roy. You know, if you love cricket the way I love cricket, you remember a lot of great things about the bloke. But this is a guy who could bowl seam up swing if the conditions needed that. It, captain could rely on him to go and bowl 10 overs off spin in a one day if he needed to. He never missed. I mean, I watched a I watched a video of his fielding exploits the other day, and you know whether he's throwing at one stump side on from 35 metres and running a guy out by inches, or uh, there was a moment in the Queensland game um, in a ING game or a Ryobi Cup game, whatever the one day used to be called back then, where he's made a magic save at mid-on and then thrown the stumps down, sitting down, and he didn't just throw them down, he hit middle stump. Um, while he was sitting flat on his backside, um, he was just a cricketer's cricketer, and yep. clubbies love him because he was everything we are. Um, mm. You know, he, he'd enjoy a beer after a game, and he'd go and wet a line on the weekend with his mates, and yeah, sometimes to his own chagrin, he put being a an average everyday fella ahead of his cricket career but what a tremendous cricketer he was and we forget about the Queensland hockey career before that and all the skill and the rugby league stuff that they talk about he was an absolute all-round athlete um yeah the pinnacle of of what it was to be an Aussie cricketer and and a tremendous fella and a great loss to the game and a great loss to the world 
thoughts with his family, but an absolute hero in my eyes, mate. Hey, Adrian, that's brilliantly said. Um, that's beautifully said, and I appreciate you ringing up to say it. Um, he was all of those things and plenty more. And, and having spent five years living in Queensland, he was loved by every person that played every sport. The AFL community loved him. Rugby league adored him. He even left to try and play rugby league at one point and tried out to, to play with the Broncos. And, um, yeah, he's got a lot of very, very dear friends in the rugby league community uh, as well. And he will be very, very sadly missed. Um, gone far too soon at the age of 46. Uh, so well done, Adrian. I'm glad you've brought that up. And if you missed Jimmy Maher and Alan Border, they were on the Macca's run earlier, and that'll be up on the podcast shortly. Uh, Mark and Greenvale, I'll get to you straight after this. We'll continue to do our heroes and villains. And I've got a new segment I'm going to debut, and it's... it's... <laughs> I'm just looking at Jordan, who's really unsure about this segment. It's called Sports Shower Thoughts. I'll explain it to you very soon. Sporting Capital, SEN. Uh, just having a look at the AFL website, Gil McLaughlin has said today in regards to when the uh, grand final will be played in terms of time slot, he has said that the issue about when the grand final will be played rests on one basic question. He said in Adelaide today, the simple discussion is what is the best presentation of the game? So what is the best presentation of the game? Is it day or is it night or is it twilight? He said it won't be going to night, it'll be twilight or day. And on the other side of the debate, over 100 years we've been playing at 2pm or something, and we respect that people like their rituals and their traditions. So it's, is the game presented better for the biggest game of the year at twilight as opposed to people at the core of our game? A lot of people like the tradition of 2.30pm. So that is the harder discussion. It will be a really good discussion, and clearly I'm not going to discuss it here in advance of the commission meeting. But I want to acknowledge to all our supporters, we understand that a lot of people don't want it to change, but also when you look at how it's been presented the last couple of years, there's also a lot of people who really like the twilight and think it presents well. Uh, I am one of those people. Which one are you? one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Sports Shower Thoughts. New segment coming up in a moment. Mark in Greenvale. G'day, Mark. Got a hero or a villain? Um, I've got both, Sam. Uh, first off, I'm going to cover off on my hero. My hero, and it's my hero every week, and that's SPN, because whenever I've got something on my chest, I can ring up and have my say, and that's bloody awesome. That's what we're here for, mate. No need to thank us, but we thank you for ringing in. Thank you. That's all right. I've got two villains. My first villain is GWS and what they did to their coach by losing on the weekend. I didn't see them killing themselves to try to win that game in the last quarter, which I think they could have. Congratulations to Carlton. They played Mm. well. The GWS, I think, have been the biggest disappointment of this year um, because they've got a lot of talent on their list. And when they want to pull it out, um, they can absolutely play well. My other villain is the media and how they jump onto one side and the story on one side as opposed to their competitors. And I'll give you two examples. Mm-hmm. When, G, when the Gold Coast beat Sydney, everybody was about how bad Sydney was for dropping that game rather than how well Gold Coast played. This weekend... The Swans absolutely played brilliantly against Essendon. Yes. And had they kicked straight, they would have won by a heap. Oh, yeah. And everybody has said 
How, How bad, bad is it in yes. And no commentary, <laughs> no commentary on the Swans. The Swans' first quarter was just about their yep. best first quarter of the year. Yeah, they, they were they were sensational. They were absolutely sensational, Mark. And and you're right, it is something to keep an eye on that we don't often go to how bad the one performance was without making sure we highlight how good the other was. And uh, I I agree with you, Carlton. That win from them, I think, is um, their best of the year. And I'll play you later on uh, after 9 o'clock what Michael Voss had to say about it. But he spoke to SEN earlier this morning, sen.com.au with Bucks and Gary, um, how they were able to put aside the emotion that GWS were going to bring. And they jumped them. First four goals. uh, And it was always going to be a long road back for the Giants. To their credit, got back in it, but not anywhere near enough in terms of what they were playing for and who they were looking to send out in the best possible fashion. Um, And apart from Josh Kelly... All their senior players are villains as well because they just did not get anywhere near enough from the likes of Whitfield and Green, uh, Canelio, and they weren't the only ones who probably didn't uh, give what they would have been hoping to send their coach out in the way that they should have. Um, so you're 100% right. We've got to make sure we highlight the positives. Sydney were brilliant. Uh, don't always focus too much on the negative. So Carlton are heroes, St Kilda are heroes, Gold Coast are heroes uh, as well. Uh, on the other side of this, sports shower thoughts. Oh, after promising so much, uh, I, un- I am unable to deliver just at this stage sports shower thoughts. I'm going to have to do it after BP. We don't have enough time left. I was trying to get the audio sorted and it just hasn't come through correctly. And I haven't been able to edit it to fit it into the time we have remaining in this hour. So there's still time for you to take make your calls. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Sports shower thoughts will debut after nine o'clock. It's very important that we get to the first serve in the uh, prompt time uh, and we aren't tardy in doing so. Uh, so some of your texts that have been coming through is 0433981116 and 1300736736 for your heroes and villains. Uh, this is from Chris. Sam, I'm staggered. Ryan went past the ball, elected to bump and got Bowie in the head. Chandler came on as a sub. He's moving faster than anyone on the ground, lays a perfect tackle and actually let go of Foley before he hit the deck. I understand the suspension, but Ryan's can't be a less severe penalty than Chandler's. What a disgrace. Uh, I agree with you on that one, Chris. Uh, I can't quite... Yeah, it doesn't quite stack up for me either that... Um, what Chandler did is deemed to be worse than what Liam Ryans did. And that's not a personal attack at Liam Ryans, but that was a decision uh, to go past the ball and to bump, and he did make high contact. Um, and that tackle, I'm with you. I can't quite see the double movement. I know that he's... that uh, that I know that uh, Ryan... Uh, sorry, Foley arms are pinned and then you've got to try and pull up and not but I think he actually did make the attempt to pull up and I'm with you I thought he let go I don't think he drove him into the ground um so yeah again yeah it's uh it it, it can be a little frustrating when you don't quite and can't quite make out the consistency here and and what are we prioritizing in terms of how we uh, officiate these incidences. Uh, my nominee for hero is Jack Silvani. Copped a lot of grief a couple of years ago when the Blues weren't going well, and he was a young, developing player. Now he's the heart and soul of the team in so many ways. So unselfish and a real player's player. Well done, Jack. Yeah, I fully agree with you. Uh, having a sensational year is, is Jack Silvani. Um, AG says, Essen supporters have been piling on Dylan Shield. The team in total had just 30 tackles. A lot more issues than just Shield. Uh, yeah, they've got plenty of issues at the moment. The Bombers. Uh, speaking of which, um, if you didn't hear Matthew Lloyd uh, speaking 
on the Sunday footy show. Um, on Sunday, uh, just seeing if I had that one teed up to play. Um, Matty Lloyd was really unhappy with what he saw Luke Parker do in terms of uh, the insinuation when he kept ducking his head, not once, twice, three, four, five, but six times after uh, Dylan Shear was dispossessed in a tackle, essentially accusing him of ducking and, and being scared and uh, and being soft. Uh, Matty Lloyd said that at the very next chance they got, he would have ran straight through Luke Parker and uh, he would have said, you will never disrespect me in that way uh, ever again. He was more upset that Essendon didn't respond physically to Luke Parker than what Luke Parker had actually done. He said, those things are going to happen. You are going to get sledged, but to not respond in any way, shape or form, to not remonstrate, to not fly the flag, to not stand up for your teammate, um, that was what Lloydie was having a very hard time dealing with. And Dyson Heppel has responded directly uh, to the former Essendon great. Look, Lloydie's got every right to say that, no doubt. Everyone has their own opinion, that's fine, but... What does he want Dylan to plough through someone, give away a free kick, give away a 50-metre penalty and another goal? You know, this day and age, free kicks are given away so quickly. And I think the hardness and the firmness and what you're talking about in being a nice football team, it's it's not about giving away free kicks or showing full-blown aggression. or It's when the ball's there to be won. That's what we want to stand for. So that was Dyson Heppel responding to Matty Lloyd. Uh, your text here in regards to the Twilight v. Daytime Grand Final, Gil McLaughlin has said the decision we made on which one shows the spectacle in the best light, pardon the pun, but which one uh, is the best display of the Grand Final. Don't knock it till you try it. We've never had a Twilight Grand Final played in Melbourne, so let's just give it a go before we decide what the best time it should be played is. Uh, yeah, I fully agree with that. How do we know that we prefer a daytime grand final at the MCG over a nighttime grand final when we've never seen, uh, sorry, a twilight grand final when we've never seen a twilight grand final at the MCG. I think twilight would be great. So let's just wait and see. Uh, I reckon it will be twilight, by the way. Uh, just a couple of villains to finish up with. Oh, some heroes, Sam Kerr, two goals in the FA Cup win. Josh Kennedy, now number one all-time in clearances and contested possession. Brisbane now have gone two years ago to the 17th most accurate side, to the most accurate goal-kicking side in the competition. That is worthy of a hero nomination. Uh, in terms of villains, those cretins who punched on in the stands at Rugby League uh, at the Magic Round and, and it involved not only a Queensland, a former Queensland origin great, but a man whose arm was in a sling when he got punched. Uh, you are the lowest of the low and hopefully will never be allowed back into a game again. Uh, Greg Norman, my nan uh, loved two sports people more than anything. They were Leighton Hewitt and Greg Norman. And we buried her with photos of not just me and my sister, but also of Leighton Hewitt and of Greg Norman. And if my nan could see Greg Norman now in the things he is saying and the things he is doing, she would turf that photo out of her grave in disgust. And you could not blame her. How the mighty have fallen. How the mighty have fallen. Uh, The Giants mentioned them earlier. I thought Leon Cameron deserved a bit better than that. Uh, and they weren't. They got jumped out of the blocks. I mean, the first quarter should have said everything about how you wanted to send this coach off. And I mean, credit to Carlton, they were brilliant out of the blocks. But yeah, they were left in their wake. The Giants and had to play catch up, and they came close, uh, but then were put away uh, by the end as well. Um, the Lynch decision to me is staggering. After Green was suspended for this very same act last year, this is not a crack at Tom Lynch, but that act is every. Is, ex- is exactly the same. Dangerfield had to go off and get himself sorted out. So too 
did Jarman Impey with blood streaming from his face? What is the difference? Explain yourself. And this is the other thing. Explain something, AFL. Just respond to any request or, or just have the decency to explain these things to the people. It won't hurt you to be a little bit more transparent in all things, whether it be this or fixturing or what's happening with the AFLW. Start speaking to people, for goodness sake. Treat them with that much respect at the very least. Uh, first serve is up next, and then I'll be back after 9 o'clock. Some big news out of Hawthorne today. Some AFLW signings. Josh Vandaloo to join us. Scott Sadler will wrap up Magic Round in the NRL. And Benjamin Kadane, the NBA Finals. Ah, uh, yes, indeed. Welcome back to the Sporting Capital. Great job, BP, as always. Another cracking edition of the first serve. Benjamin Kadane, NBA.com.au to join us. Uh, NBA playoffs, not NBA, not NBA finals. NBA playoffs, the conference championships teams are set. We'll have a chat to him about the events of today. All four teams, none of them were at this stage of last year's NBA playoffs. So uh, clean decks uh, and new stories to be written. Scotty Sattler's going to join us to talk about the NRL Magic Round. Penrith made the biggest statement of said round, demolishing the Melbourne Storm, who had been on a heater. Uh, they'd been breaking scoring records left, right, and centre, and they only managed just the one try against the Panthers. And a little bit of other news getting around Trent Barrett walking away from the Bulldogs. So plenty to get through from an NRL point of view with Scotty Sattler. Uh, and then the debut of a brand new segment, Sports Shower Thoughts. I've decided that my most clear thinking comes when I'm standing in the shower. Uh, and if I can capture that clarity, which now with mobile phones you can, then I feel like... I can, that's the best representation of my innermost sports thoughts. So I'm going to bring them to you when I can. And I had one over the weekend, little epiphany in the shower. So I'll bring that to you uh, as well. But uh, why don't we start with this? Uh, exciting announcement from the Hawthorne Footy Club today uh, with the AFLW season still with a big question mark on when it's going to be starting. That hasn't stopped, uh, especially the expansion teams, into getting stuck into their work, signing players. Today, the Hawthorne Footy Club announced the signing of four experienced um, and well-proven AFLW players to join the Brown and Gold for their first season, uh, AFLW 7. Jess Duffin, a two-time All-Australian. Tilly Lucas-Rod, 43 games, Blues and Saints, uh, second in the best and fairest last year. Akesh Makur-Chuot, uh, who's played with Richmond and Fremantle, was an inaugural Tiger as well, 23 games. Janet Baird, an exciting product from the NT via the Gold Coast Suns, played three games for them. Tegan Cunningham was announced over the weekend, the former D's ruck, uh, and that's to go with uh, a plethora of young talent that they've signed as well. So exciting times at the Hawks as they get set for their first AFLW season. Their GM of operations and AFLW, Josh Vandaloo, has been good enough to jump on with us. Josh, hello, mate. Hey, how you doing? Good to be here. No, thank you very much. Um, well, congrats first and foremost. What's been the strategy for, for Hawthorne in terms of how they recruit and who they recruit? Yeah, yeah, great question. So, um, look, right back at the start of the year, we um, sat down and put together a really clear list strategy with Mitch Cash and our, our list and recruiting manager for our AFLW program. Looked at all the different player types, positional requirements, and, and obviously... Um, players that fit from a cultural perspective um, went across the competition thought who, who would we like to join the brown and gold um, started a long list turned into a, a bit of a short list and then started targeting those players and all those players you read out were, were there from the start and we're thrilled for that they're going to be joining the club So how difficult is it made when 
when you're trying to recruit players, when you actually can't tell them when a season's going to be starting and, and how a preseason might unfold. It is, you're, you're in really, I suppose, you're, yeah, you are in very difficult circumstances at the moment. Yeah, look, it is tricky. I guess at a club level, we, we've got enough information um, to go off and, and plan ahead. Uh, we're in constant dialogue with the AFL, um, but I can absolutely understand that from a player perspective. Um, they've got a lot of commitments, work, study and, and planning for, an, for a season, which is a, a huge commitment in itself. So I um, can understand there's probably a little bit of frustration there. All we try and do is outline all that we know um, and what things will look like when, when they come to Hawthorne. And if, uh, if things align, then, um, then hopefully we, we get those signatures and, and when we're off and running, um, yeah, it'll be great for the club. Last week, Gil McLaughlin, Josh, said that he'd been in communication with all the clubs and, and, and that, uh, that everything was okay in that regard and that there should be an announcement being ready to make, be ready to be made soon. And we understand that the CBA is still being negotiated. So with that communication, what, uh, what in your mind and what have you guys been advised is the likely start date? Yeah, so look, um, for all intents and purposes, we're planning to be operational by the middle of June for pre-season, so about four weeks away from now. So that's where, where we're planning to, um, to fill our list, get all our players, um, build our staff program and, and be ready to go for that date. And I think looking forward, um, we're really targeting that late August 26th, 27th uh, date to, to start the season. Um, so that's the information we're working off. Um, whether it's right, that'll, that'll be confirmed in due course. But um, it's enough to go off, that's for sure. And in that communication, was there any was there anything else that had been sort of still up in the air and, and you guys were uncertain of that you'd had clarified to you by the AFL? Oh, look, look, clearly there's other elements that we need to work through. So um, there'll be expansion list rules. We've got a general um, indication of what those look like. Then there's the sign and trade period. Um, there'll be the AFLW draft. Um, we don't have specific dates on any of those things, but um, we know ballpark when the, when they'll be. Um, assuming the, the CBA gets agreed and all parties um, move forward, um, yeah, we're planning on those dates, as, as I mentioned earlier, um, and that's enough to go off. So um, end of the day, as a club, we're just incredibly excited to be joining this competition. We've, yeah. we've had to wait a number of years. Um, so the competition, hopefully, potentially, coming forward uh, is a good thing for us. Um, lots to do, lots of players to sign, lots of staff to put in place, but none of that's insurmountable, and um, we think we're going really well with it. Speaking to Josh Vandaloo, GM of Operations and AFLW at the Hawthorne Footy Club. So, Josh, it was interesting uh, the last two times that the AFLW's expanded what uh, what the expansion clubs were going to have access to, how many players they could target from other clubs. What are the rules in which you're working around in that space? Um, obviously, if, if it's not 100%, it must be tough to have conversations when you're not quite sure if you're going to be able to follow through with the recruitment of that player. But what confines are you working within? Yeah, so I think it's very similar to the previous expansion periods uh, in which there's, there's a number of players um, you can source from the existing AFLW competitions, the established clubs. Um, so we're, we're working off having somewhere between 10 and 14 players from those, those teams, um, and that's, that's the number we're targeting. Um, outside of that, yeah, we're looking at the VFLW, the NABLE competition for players um, that are over the age of 18, and there's a lot of really well-credentialed um, high performers at the moment, and they're the ones we've previously signed, the, the half a dozen uh, announced, and then we'll go to the draft. So think of it in, in three groups of players. Um, the draft is, is really exciting. There's, there's a huge amount of talent coming through this year, um, especially at the top end. 
um, we expect to be right at the top of the draft, um, and that means we're going to be bringing some good young talent in. So it'll be a balanced list, um, mature age, um, young and emerging, and then and then obviously those coming from the elite talent pathway. Yeah, so between yourself, Josh, and, and as you mentioned, your recruiting manager before, and you've got a fantastic coach in Beck Goddard, um, have you guys decided a fair way out what you wanted your list to look like in terms of, well, what do we want to, you know, because that is the fascinating part of this balancing act is it, well, how many mature ages do we bring in to try and be competitive straight away yet? And how many younger players do we take with the long-term build to, to grow into this? Um, and, and over the period of time, as we grow together, get to a point where we develop that list from start all the way through to then get to a point together where you can be competitive for a sustained period. It's, um, I'd imagine it's fascinating to, to, to try and find that balance to, to back yourself that you've got it right and then go about trying to put it together. Yeah, absolutely. And look, that's, that's a bit of the art of list management, isn't it? You need to get the positional overlay with the age profile right um, and um, trying to align talent in, in that way. So I think that's what we've done. I think that's um, evident in, in the signings we've just announced. We've got a good age range um, and a good level of experience um, because we know we're going to go to the draft um, and be at that front end and therefore have a lot of 17, 18-year-old players uh, into the club. So they need to be supported by uh, experienced players who, who have done it before and achieved at a high level already. Um, they'll be the ones that set the standard and, and, um, and set the course forward. So, um, yeah, ultimately that's what we've tried to do, find the right balance, and, and that'll cover all positions, age profiles and abilities. And Josh, the other side of that is too, putting a list together that's going to be able to execute the game style and plan that Beck Goddard's going to want to implement. Uh, what can we expect from the Brown and Gold in their first season of AFLW? What type of footy and what brand of footy are they going to be? Are you guys going to be looking to play? Yeah, so it's going to be tough. It's going to be attacking. Um, Beck wants to kick a lot of goals. Um, she wants to uh, counter-attack and, and um, play a really attractive style of football. So I won't go into much more detail than, than that, other than that's the discussion we're actually having with these players. We're, we're looking to recruit. Um, they're really keen to know how Beck's going to lead a program, um, what are her values, um, and what's the game style she wants to play. So she's been, um, she's been uh, putting that to them, and, and it's been really well received. So you can expect an exciting attacking brand of football. And I guess the other element to add is, is she's a development coach in our men's program at the moment. Um, so she's learning, watching and contributing um, to what's happening uh, in that program and, and she'll bring elements of that to the, to the women's game as well. Absolutely. Uh, Josh, from, from people that aren't at Clubland and, and we look from the outside in and we see you know Nicole Livingston's decision to go and commentate uh, swimming, we know absolute champion of, of the swimming caper, at a time when we're still not sure... Uh, when this season's starting, when pre-season's starting, when the draft's going to be, and, and all the things that are still up in the air with the CBA still being negotiated and how many games and, and all that, does it sit comfortably with you guys in Clubland that uh, that as the CEO of the AFLW, she will be uh, doing other things during this period of time? Oh, look, I, I just go back to what I said before. We felt like we've had really strong dialogue with the AFL from the start, whether it's direct from, from Nicole or or from others in the yeah. team. Um, we don't feel like we're missing out on any information. Um, I can understand the perception there. Um, I worked at the AFL for 15 years and had, <laughs> had a great relationship with Nicole. So um, she's a great operator. Um, yeah. She leads well from the front. Um, 
So, yeah, uh, I've only got positive things to say about the way she goes about it. No, that's good to know. As I said, when when we don't, when we don't know and, and we're not privy to those conversations and we haven't been able to get uh, Nicole to come on the show to, to find out a little bit more about what goes into all of that, uh, it's great to get that insight from you and it's greatly appreciated. Hey, congratulations, Josh, on the players you've signed. As I mentioned, Jess Duffin with the Pies and North, um, close to 50 games of experience, two-time All-Australian as well. Tilly Lucas-Rod the same, 43 games for her with the Blues and the Saints second in the Saints BNF last year. You've got um, a player that I really like in Akesh Makua Chuat um, has an enormous talent. And then Jeanette Baird uh, with her three games at the Suns has shown how exciting she can be. And you throw in Tegan Cunningham, who, who's been a really strong performer. Uh, and with the young talent you're signing as well, it's, it's really exciting uh, for the Hawks. And uh, we can't wait to see the, the finished product and, and the first game. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think you've, you've rattled off the names there. We, we've got a third of our list in place now. Um, I expect in a, in a week's time we're going to be talking about having two-thirds of our list in place. We're in, um, yeah, we're in discussions with a number of players, um, negotiating back and forth. Um, there's others we're watching through the pathways. Um, so like I said from the outset, incredibly exciting day for the club. Um, can't wait to get stuck into it. And if I can just throw a little shout-out at the end. We're, we've launched our membership packages for our AFLW program uh, today. So $50 um, is the starting rate. Um, you can go to the Hawthorne membership page on our website. Um, we need as much support as possible, like every club does, and, and it goes directly to our women's program. So, yeah, like I keep saying, exciting time, and, and um, we can't wait to join this competition. Well, I promise you that I'll be doing exactly that. I will be signing up as an AFLW member for the Hawks uh, because I'm a Hawks member anyway, so I should absolutely be an AFLW Hawks member as well. So you can count me into that. Hey, Josh, good luck with what's to come. Um, hopefully there's some announcements coming soon, a CBA that suits uh, the players and the clubs, uh, the game and the fans. Um, it's going to be a big three years as we sort of move towards uh, two or three seasons. We move towards that uh, overall collective bargaining agreement that hopefully includes both men's and women's to join in that revenue share together. So it's a really pivotal time and a, and a, and a watershed time uh, for the competition. And, and we can't wait to see the brown and gold in action, mate. Cheers. No, thanks very much. Talk to you soon. Uh, Josh Vandaloo, who I caught up with a little bit earlier and uh, left in my Porky Pig impersonation at the start. So I hope you enjoyed that. But that's all, folks, from Josh Vandaloo, uh, Hawthorne's uh, GM of Operations and AFLW. Scotty Sattler, former Queensland origin great, is going to join us on the other side of this to wrap up Magic Round in the NRL on the Sporting Capital SEN. Uh, I'll tell you, it's one of the great initiatives in Australian sport and one of the... Biggest marketing wins is NRL Magic Round. Every game of the round takes place at Suncorp Stadium uh, in Queensland. And it's a fantastic idea as well when uh, the grand final tends to be locked in at a, well, as it is in the NRL, locked in in Sydney every year. It's in the AFL, it's locked in in Melbourne. So what else can you give uh, your other proud NRL in this situation? Or if it was an AFL, your AFL playing states uh, and this is a very, very good thing to do for that particular state of Queensland, who often feels a little bit uh, underappreciated um, and um, and feels like they get left out in the cold just a little bit every now and then. Uh, Scotty Sattler, NRL Nation, uh, former NRL Premiership player, uh, former Queensland Origin player as well, and a very good friend of this show has been good enough to jump on to wrap up Magic Round. Scotty, hello, mate. Hello, Sammy. Yeah, it was a, a great weekend. Uh, it's a Great spectacle for rugby league. 
shame that it's been dampened by the the crowd fight on night one. And and I bring it up only because a, a, a man that can lay claim to what you can as being someone who played for Queensland, he had his arm in a sling and yet he and his son were um, essentially assailed um, in a pretty unsavoury incident on night one. And it seemed to hang over the round uh, for the rest of the week in terms of what was being reported out of Magic Round. Yeah, Owen Cunningham, former Origin player, was, yeah. uh, whose son was involved in it. Yeah, the, the one you're the former player that you're alluding to, Sammy, he, he jumped in to try and sort of drag his young bloke out. His, his young bloke copped a bit of a beating, actually. And, yeah. and uh, Owen Cunningham, who we know as OJ, he was he, he got sat on his backside as well at one stage. Yeah, it looked really uncomfortable. It wasn't good to watch. Uh, many were asking where was the security. There was security around just standing, watching, waiting for the police to turn up, uh, which was disappointing. And I suppose questions will be asked. So, yeah, when you look at the... I suppose the good, the bad, and the ugly from the weekend, Sam. That was probably the only ugly part of the weekend was was that that fight on the Friday night. And you know, the, I suppose the downside to these these big festivals of any sport when you bring everyone together, it's a melting pot, and and there's you know obviously the drinking that goes on beforehand before you actually get to the stadium, and then and then um, obviously everything else just uh, just explodes. So yeah, it was yeah it was it was a real damper on the entire weekend, but. Um, I think, in context of it, Sammy, I thought I thought it was, you know, quite a small, a small part of what was a terrific weekend. Absolutely, and and the action on the field was incredible, and and, and heaps to talk about. The, the Broncos' performance against Manly, uh, they're in the seventh now. The Broncos, Adam Reynolds has proven to be one of the worst decisions that Souths made, and one of the best decisions <laughs> that the Broncos have made. He is leading that team brilliantly in a thirty-eight to nil win over Manly, and Kevy Walters, I think, is just finally starting to get some consistency from this Broncos side. Well, he had a really good young team with potential, but they just didn't have enough games under their belt. You know, there's a really good saying in rugby league, one of our greatest coaches, Tim Sheens, that you need at least 50 NRL games to really understand what, what your identity is in the game and in the team and feel comfortable week in, week out. And now they've got a lot of these really young, good young forwards that have come through their junior development systems. They've now reached sort of 40, 50, 60 games. Now they're starting to feel okay. Now they just needed a sheriff. They just needed a general to get out there and say, guys, this is how we can win a game. This is how we can control the momentum of a game and just do what I say and I'll take you to the promised land. And, and that's exactly what Adam Reynolds has done. He's he's come in as that sheriff and he's just dictated terms and you know, without a doubt the most astute signing yeah. you know, over the off-season by the Broncos. I mean, they gave a 31-year-old a three-year contract. He's, got no, he's known to have a bad lower back and hamstring injuries. But they just know that nine hundred thousand dollars they're going to give him a year. It's it's actually going to be a really good succession plan for after he retires. Storm have been breaking all kinds of scoring records to start off the year. It came to a crashing halt against your old mob, the Panthers. Scotty Sattler, thirty-two to six win for the Panthers to uh, clinch top spot or or get or take top spot on the NRL ladder. They were bound for a fall at some stage, a Storm. But I was surprised that the, the fall was uh, so drastic even against a team as yeah. good as the Panthers? Yeah, I expected it, Sammy. I, I knew that without Jerome Hughes and especially Ryan Pappenau as a leading point scorer, he scored more points individually than two of the NRL clubs, as like yes, the entire team. 12 tries and then all of his... Conv- and, uh, yes. West Tigers. So, you know, it's. I always thought that Melbourne were going to get beaten on the weekend. I thought they were going to get beaten quite convincingly. Um and I think Craig Bellamy really summed it up after the game. He said, maybe we haven't been going as good as what everyone thought we were. And, you know, they're beating everyone by 70 and 40 and 30. And then all of a sudden they've got some injuries and some key injuries as well 
and Remus Smith in the centres as well as part of you know Hughes and Pappenhausen and and Penrith just you know they were full strength so that was always going to happen and I don't think it's a bad thing it's okay I you know they won't stress too much about it they'll, they'll know that when no. they get back to their full contingent they'll be they'll be flying again. Uh, Cowboys, I think, is is the, the, the greatest turnaround from a side's fortunes that I can remember seeing in the NRL in quite some time. 15th, they finished last year, didn't they? And uh, they're now into third. Uh, they had a 36-12 win against the Tigers, who are struggling. But Todd Payton's really uh, turned this team around. And he and Jason Tomalolo, the skipper, have got on the same page. And uh, they're playing great footy. They are. Yeah, worst defensive team last year. Conceded the most amount of yep. points and... And now this year, one of the best, uh, sitting third in the on the ladder at the moment. He's a really good coach, Toddy Payton. He's a an intelligent, articulate coach. He's mm. a he's a popular guy away from the media. He's got a terrific personality, and I'm glad for him. Yeah, I I picked the Cowboys to win the wooden spoon this year. So I, along with a lot of other people, got real egg on our faces. And uh, Toddy Payton and his playing group of you know, again they've made a really astute signing, Chad Townsend, for like reportedly eight hundred thousand a year, which what he gives you on the field, you probably think, well, that's massive overs. Why yeah. are you paying that much? But he is educating young players. You know, he's a premiership when he plays. He's educating young players like Tom Deed and Scott Drinkwater. Mm. You go and play footy, I'll worry about the rest. And they're reaping their rewards from it. So it just comes down to one real astute signing about how much of a, you know, how much they can dictate a change in a club. And uh, from, a, I suppose, a sadder point of view, a, a great of his generation of the game in Trent Barrett, who... Uh, was with the, the, the Bulldogs this year. And a few weeks ago, I think the writing was on the wall for a lot of people when Gus Gould takes over training, as Gus Gould tends to want to do. And uh, Trent Barrett's walked away uh, and stood down um, from that coaching position, eerily similar to the fact that the situation we had in the AFL this week when Leon Cameron did yeah. that uh, out west as well uh, with, the, with the GWS Giants. But it, fascinating that Gus Gould said, actually, we weren't going to get rid of him. So what, what, what's the story here from your perspective, Scotty? I'm not a big fan of, of coaches, whether they leave or whether they're sacked. I'm not a big fan mid-season. I, I really mm. think that at least get them to the end of the season and, and reassess everything that's happened from that point of view. You know, I've got no doubt that Leon Cameron and Trent Barrett have had a you know, a pretty open and frank and candid conversation with whoever is the most powerful person in that club. And and I think the message would be clear is you know, we'll give the ability to walk away on your own terms and we'll pay you what you're owed and you walk away with respect and hopefully get another job down the track. Uh, Anthony Griffin was a great example of that. He got sacked by the Broncos for Wayne Bennett returning. He held, he was so humble. And then he got another job and then at the Penrith Panthers. And then Phil Gould got rid of him from the Penrith Panthers. He was very humble again and got a job at the St. George of Dragons. So I think with Trent, you know, he's highly respected in the game. He was a wonderful rugby league player. He's a wonderful guy. Maybe head coaching is not his, not his gig. Maybe he's, a really good assistant coach, or maybe he goes to the UK Super League as a coach. Not quite sure, but what I do know is that um, it was always, like you said, Sammy, the writing was on the wall, and um, I wish it was at the end of the year, but in saying that, um, now they've got the, the envious job of um, trying to find someone who's going to fill that space, and it's a, you know, it's a club that's got, it's a poison chalice as well, and and when you've got the aura and someone as intimidating as Phil Gould looking over your shoulder, it's, there's only going to be a very special person who'll take that role on. 
Yeah, well said. Hey, thanks so much for wrapping up Magic Round for us, Scotty. I think it's one of the great initiatives in Australian sport, yeah. especially when you've got a state like Queensland does. And, and for AFL, like, you know, South Australia does at times, Western Australia and, uh, and well, Tasmania, we know, who sort of feel a bit underappreciated and underloved uh, by the code itself. So to take a full round up to Suncorp, it's a brilliant idea. The fans love it. The state loves it. The city loves it. Uh, and there's been some great footy and some big stories to come out of it. Thanks for wrapping it up for us, Scotty. Sammy, I could just see AFL at Marvel Stadium over three days. It'd be outstanding. <laughs> There'd be a few coaches that would hate that, and they're based in Melbourne. Uh, anyway, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> another time. Good on you, mate. See you, Sammy. Uh, Scott Sattler, he's a ripper, and you can hear him every weekend on NRL Nation, uh, Sports Day Queensland as well. Uh, he's a good man, uh, and it is a fantastic initiative, that NRL round. If, if 0433 For me, this makes a, a heap of sense to do in Adelaide, uh, take it around to Perth, uh, definitely take it to Tassie, even before they get uh, their own team, when we know that that's going to happen. But it would be great to see. Uh, Benjamin Cardano is going to join us uh, to talk NBA playoffs. We'll do that next on the Sporting Capital. Uh, and then there were four. So the Eastern Conference title and the Western Conference title is up for grabs in the NBA. Um, and we've got four teams that were not at this stage at the end of last NBA season. So it's incredibly, incredibly exciting at the moment. After today, Boston defeated Milwaukee in game seven, 109 to 81 to win that 4-3. Um, and Dallas, 123 to 90. At one stage, they were over 40 points up, I reckon it was, uh, against uh, the Phoenix Suns. They win that series 4-3, 123 to 90. At halftime, Luka Doncic had as many points as Phoenix himself. He had 27 points. And Phoenix, the team had 27 points themselves. Uh, it was a fascinating series. Both of these were, and it sets up uh, a mouth-watering uh, conference championship. So it'll be in the East, Boston v. Miami, and in the West, Golden State Warriors v. Dallas. Benjamin Cardano from NBA.com.au has been good enough to jump on. Benjamin, hello, mate. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. No, it's a pleasure. Um, what was in, What was the... What was the moment? What was the game? What was the series that stood out to you to get to these conference finals um, that you're still uh, getting your head around? <laughs> well, I think the one getting my head around has to be uh, Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks. I, I mean, I thought they were a chance today, but the way they handled their business uh, on the road and, and Luka Doncic especially was uh, was unbelievable. That was that was just <laughs> that was not what I was expecting. But uh, credit to them, they uh, they went in and got the number one seed Suns and uh, took care of them on their uh, their own court. There's memes getting around today for, for both of these results. Um, for the Boston and Milwaukee, it's they're saying that the moment Giannis dunked and maybe carried on a little bit over Al Horford, and Al Horford just said, okay, that's how we're going to be, then that's how we'll be. And from that moment on, Boston took over the series. And they're saying the same thing happened uh, in the Dallas-Phoenix series when they were 2-0 up Phoenix and they were talking a lot of trash and um, Devin Booker was knocking the ball out of um, Luka Doncic's hand when he was just trying to give it back and... Uh, they're saying that some moments where maybe th- these teams got ahead of themselves may have come back to bite them. <laughs> well, if you're going to talk the talk, you've got to walk the walk. And uh, I guess they found out the uh, the hard way that, you know, at this point of the season, everyone came to play. And you know, everyone at this point of the season, you know, is thinking a championship is on the horizon. So I, I love it. I love when the guys are sort of going back and forth with each other. These are the kind of playoff moments. Uh, that you do remember. And, uh, you know, guys, guys were having fun out there. Um, but shout out to the Celtics because 
again, game seven against the defending champs. I know it was on their home court, um, but again, they, they took care of business with a, with a big double-digit win. They, they made pretty light work of the Bucks in the end. Yeah, they did. Um, just in terms of the Heat's result over the 76ers, 4-2 that series in the end, it, it, is, almost, it is quite delightful. Um, as an Australian basketball fan, and, and there's some things I think Ben Simmons could have done better. Um, and I, but I think now that as the, the full tale has started to be revealed and he's now going in for back surgery, some people are going to have to start eating some words. But I find it just the definition of irony that they lose another playoff series and the man that they were looking to to make the difference in James Harden had just two shots in the second half, would not take a shot. And they go down four two, and they can't advance to the conference finals uh, for the to the conference championship series for the second year in a row. After all the criticism of um, of Ben Simmons refusing to shoot and and having his issues at the foul line, James Harden was even worse uh, than Ben Simmons was, and I find that to be delightful. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, quite poetic, and I'm sure the irony isn't uh, isn't lost on on Ben Simmons, but. Uh, a tough go for the 76ers as well, just because, you know, Joel Embiid really was everything for them. Um, injuries really kind of slowed them down. But, uh, yeah, I, I thought if healthy, they were probably a good chance to, to get by Miami. But uh, it just, just didn't work out for them again, which seems to be the uh, the story every year for the 76ers. They, they find another way, another heartbreaking way to, to go out. So let's just have a look at these two series. So Boston who haven't won uh, the title since 2008 when they beat the Lakers. They lost in 2010 to the Lakers. And Miami, who last won in 2013, they lost it, obviously, at the NBA Finals in 2014. Um, you, you know what you get from Tatum, Brown and Smart. But the question is for Miami, it's Butler. And then who else is going to step up consistently to be his number two out of Adebayor, Oladipo or Tyler Hero? So you, you can take your three for the Celtics to the bank. But that's going to be the watch, isn't it? Who will be consistent for Miami to be Butler's number two? Yeah, that's absolutely correct, especially because the depth of the Miami Heat. They have so many guys Mm. that on any given night can be the guy. I mean, Tyler Harrow and Adebayo, you know, firming as as the guys that will likely be there. Um, Obviously, Kyle Lowry, he's been struggling with injuries. And and a guy like Duncan, Duncan Robinson, who couldn't even get on the floor, uh, in their previous series. We don't know what we're going to get from him. And then all the way down the line to guys like Gabe Vincent's coming in. Max Struess is now a really important part of this team. So I, I think that's going to be the case with the Heat is that it, it may not just be, you know, two or three guys. I think the trend is going to continue where we do see a, a new guy step in uh, every night. And, and, you know, whilst you do want to get some consistency uh, out of your sort of key guys, I think that's really one of the Heat's strengths is that they can – adapt and, and, you know, be flexible with their lineups and go, hey, today Tyler Harrow is going to be the man or now you've got to prepare for Max Struess. Like, they can just throw a lot of different things uh, at you. But this is this is going to be a very grimy series, the Celtics and the Heat. I think there's going to be a lot of sub-100 scores in this game, a lot of defense. Uh, I've got the Heat in seven. Who you got? I'm, I'm with you. I think uh, I think it's going to come down to home court um, and then, yeah, that, that seventh game in Miami, I think, uh, I think will do the job. But yeah, I think this one's definitely, uh, definitely going to go back and forth. I can see these teams really beating each other up. And and it's a similar story for the Golden State Warriors in Dallas. The Golden State last won the title in 2018 when they beat Cleveland. They lost to Toronto in 2019. It was 2011 that Dallas uh, got that title with Dirk Nowitzki nearing the end of uh, his career. They beat the Heat 
it all rests on Luka Doncic, who's been huge. But for Golden State, you know Steph, you know Clay. Wiggins is playing his best basketball. Jordan Poole and then Draymond Green continues, even though he's slowing a little bit to be one of the best defensive players. Uh, it's just a matter of whether Dallas can get enough out of the rest. Spencer Dinwiddie's been great, but who else is going to be? I think, I don't think sweep, but I, I think 4-2 um, Warriors for me. Yeah, it's, it, this is an interesting series because the Mavs are almost playing with house money here. The yeah. Warriors are supposed to win this series. Um, but the Mavericks, they, they were good against the Warriors this season. They they won the season series 3-1. Uh, and the best player they have to kind of slow down Luka Doncic uh, from what we saw this season is, is Gary Payton second, And he's he's uh, injured at the moment. So their kind of best option for, for guarding Luka is out. That's going to be the big question. Is, is Andrew Wiggins going to be able to, to chip in? Is Kaminga going to have to come in and get some burn up? Clay Thompson haven't quite looked the same defensively since he came back from that injury. So the big question they have is how do you stop Luca? And, and I'm not sure they really have a, a clear-cut answer for that. So this is going to be fun. Hey, uh, I can't wait for this, Benjamin. It's going to start uh, in the next couple of days and we'll be looking forward to catching up with you during uh, the conference championship series and then as we move into the NBA final series as well. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate you having me on. Benjamin Kadano, NBA.com.au. Make sure you read his work. Uh, it'll be all across what's to come in the NBA this season. Uh, what's to come on the Sporting Capital? The debut of the brand new series, brand new segment, Sports Shower Thoughts. So I've often had the theory that I am more succinct and I have much more clarity of mind and thought when I'm standing in the shower. It seems everything makes a lot more sense to me in that space. And I have some of my best ideas and, and I think... I'm able to articulate and express myself better in the shower, waffling along to myself than I ever am when I'm behind the microphone. So I thought I'd try and tap into that with a brand new segment, Sports Shower Thoughts. And I might just do this from time to time. They might not be in the shower. They might be when I'm walking along or uh, not in the car because I wouldn't be playing with my phone when I'm in the car. But I had a thought over the weekend and I grabbed my phone and just started recording while I was in the shower. Um... I'm happy to get your feedback in real time, 0433 98 11 16 or 1300 But without any further ado, and on a day where Sam McClure is reporting on Sports Day that Greater Western Sydney Chairman Tony Shepherd has confirmed that four-time Premiership AFL coach Alistair Clarkson will be among the people the Giants talk to as the club begins its search for Leon Cameron's replacement, I had these thoughts over the weekend. After listening to the boys on crunch time and then having listened and seen on multiple occasions the ads that Tassie have put together, and they are a hero this week, the people of Tasmania, the people who have been at the forefront of this campaign to get a team that they so justly deserve and so rightfully deserve, Peter Gutwin to the task force, to, um, to everybody that's been involved in the push for it, to Alistair Clarkson for his involvement to it. If they get a no, if Tasmania get a no, later this year in that vote. It is one of the greatest injustices in football. It is one of the biggest slaps in the face to a state or, or to a group of people that I can remember in the game. It would be an out-and-out travesty to the people of Tasmania who have provided some of the biggest names that the game has ever seen in Richardson and Baldock and Hudson, Rewalt, and the list goes on and their contribution to footy continues to go on. Yet they've seen every other state, every other state go past them in terms of getting team. And not just go past them once, but every other state go past them twice. And they're still crying out for that team that they 
beyond the shadow of a doubt deserve and can maintain and sustain, it would be, oh, I think, just a real... It would be as sad a moment in the game as I think that I could remember seeing in my lifetime. The game's been going over 160 years. It is time for Tassie to get their own team. And if, and if they didn't, if they didn't, I would be more than comfortable if the next day on the Prime Minister's desk and the Governor-General's desk there sits a letter from the Premier of Tasmania saying, Dear Scarmer, or whoever it is, because it'll be after the election, then it could be Elba, whoever's sitting in that seat, please accept this letter as our official resignation from Australia. You have, you know what it is for the last time. We are seceding. We've had enough. You have disrespected us for the final time. Now, I know sport isn't life and there are far bigger things in the world than sport, but this would be the cherry. This would be the straw that broke the Tasmanian camel back. So the more I've thought about it over the weekend, the more I actually think, and my position in my segment, tell me why I'm wrong, was that Clarko should knock back both the Giants and the Suns off it. And I had a multitude of reasons as to why. But the more I've thought about it over the weekend, if they get the yes that they absolutely deserve later this year, then when they rock up for work day one of 2023 to start the journey to be there and whether it be 2027, 2028, Clark goes in that meeting and he's installed as your inaugural coach and in the meantime, he is going to be on the ground helping re-establish pathways, passion in local football, engagement in local footy, both men's and women's, and then setting up the academy program, the talent pathway that will feed in to this team to make sure that when they arrive, there is a plethora of Tassie players to pick from. Born and raised to be part of that inaugural team that runs out round one in whatever year it is. And in the meantime, he can go and do some more travel. Go and sit on the bench with Steve Kerr. Go and spend time with Ange Postacoglu and find out if you really want to know, if you really want to put yourself to the test in the generational gap and how to bridge it, which we've been talking about this week between older coaches and younger players, Go and see how it's done when you're not only got the generational gap, but you've got the culture gap, multiple cultures in the one team, multiple languages all being spoken in the one team. On the other side of the world, then come home, and I think you'll find it much more achievable and easier connection to make with the younger players to bridge the generational gap. Go and spend some time in other administrations if the clubs will let you. And if they don't, Go and spend a couple of years in the media. Do a couple of games a week. Watch every game every week, which I'm sure he does anyway, but you get a different lens when you go and work in the media as an analyst for a while. Any coach who's left coaching, gone into the media and come back, tells you that they're better. But there would be nothing more powerful in terms of legacy than Alistair Clarkson's second and final job being the inaugural coach of Tassie's first ever team in the AFL. Nothing can be bigger than that. You can go to the Giants and the Suns and you might get a premiership there and finish off someone's work. But I was a painter for a couple of years in my life and when I drove past a house, I didn't have the same pride in that house that the person who built it had. The person who laid the foundations of it, put up the frames, actually constructed the essence of that house, the foundations of that house, 
the grounding, the footings, the stumpings, from the ground up they built it, and yet the painter comes along and puts the finishing touches on, and it's one of the first things you see is how the house presents itself from the outside, and then when you walk inside, the builders know, like the people that have been there from day one on the job site know what went into it and what's been behind it. That won't be as big a legacy piece to me as if he can go and be the first ever coach of Tasmania. And even if he doesn't win a premiership, what he will have given to the game and given to a whole state, it's just immeasurable, I think. It's iconic. Sheedy did it with GWS and it was brilliant. And he, he should be, we owe him a great debt for the fact that he did that when he would have had other offers and maybe would have been another snap or another premiership. But, but what, what Alistair Clarkson will give to the game in that capacity as Tasmania's first ever coach in their first ever season with their first ever team, that will be something that will be sung <laughs> in the skies forevermore. That's bigger. That's legacy. Uh, so there we go. Sports shower thoughts. Jeez, I waffled on a bit, didn't I? What was I? <laughs> I still believe that that's what Alistair Clarkson should do. Uh, Coach Tasmania, don't say yes to any other job. Start that on day one when they get there. Yes. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. I knew I could count on Muzza to give it to me straight. Muzza, sports shower thoughts. Should I make it a regular thing? No, but the thing <laughs> is, you've spent more eight. Hey. You've spent more money wasting on that water than you will buying that for the newborn. I know. I didn't realise it went for that long. I thought I was succinct. The thing is, is, I I said to you the other week that he would be the first coach of Tassie to get them off the ground. I said that to you a couple of weeks ago when you asked where should he end up. Yep. So you just remember that I was... Sure. I voted for him to go to Tassie so he could, um, so that it's a better fist than GWS and Gold Coast make of it. Uh, so yeah, well, well, I'll always credit you with with giving me the idea, Muzz, and I appreciate your your, your very candid thoughts. And yes, I, I think the water bill will be uh, steeper than it needed to be this month because I've uh, wasted water. And Alex is pointing that out off the text as well. Always great to hear from you, mate. Uh, off the text, Sam, you've outdone yourself here. That was early. I wonder if they're still feeling the same after I went on for about six minutes. Um, and Ellie says, a bit uncomfortable for me personally to listen to you in the shower, though. Feels like it's a private place I'm hearing from. Well, it is private, but you're, it's your innermost thoughts. That's why you sing in the shower and you belt it out because you think no one's listening. This is what I'm pontificating on when I'm standing in the shower, having been listening to the boys on Crunch Time, and I'm sure they're wrapped to know I'll listen to them. In the shower, Alex is not wrapped that um, that that we're talking about something that I'm doing while I'm in the nude. Well, Alex, yeah, I don't shower with shorts on, so yeah, that's 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 the status in there. Um, so more than happy to get your feedback on whether that segment has life. I know that producer Jordan Canellis does not like this in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> he didn't even want to edit it. He wanted to be so far removed from it. Pardon the pun, but he washed his hands of it. Um, so we'll just see. I'll see what comes to my mind next time I'm bathing and if it, if I feel like it can make the cut. Uh, just something pretty light to finish up on. It's a big day. Uh, plenty to come out of the MRO, so there'll be a lot of hot topics to talk about tomorrow on SEN. Uh, it'll be starting from 6 o'clock tomorrow morning with Gary and Tim uh, and then obviously Jared Waitley from 9, Midday Man. It's back at 12 and then Andy and Gazy. Until I speak to you at 6, have a great night. 
When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.